Welcome to Thought Revolution. This is a show for leaders like you who want to learn how to lead and manage in a way that expands your impact and influence. My name is Kristen Nebro and I am the founder of Impact Consultancy. And I'm excited to share with you my biggest aha moments and thought-provoking concepts that are designed to free up your time, your team's capacity, and your ability to create impact in the world. Let's go. Welcome to episode 32, and we are focused this time on culture. I'm going to be taking some time here in the next couple podcasts to really explore this concept of creating team culture. And um, I think it's really important because if you take a look at the last few uh, podcasts that I just did, so um, episode 31, episode 30 and 30, uh, 29, all of them were really focused on the manager. And that's who I'm giving a lot of love to right now. So the managers, the supervisors, the leads out there. Um, especially when you're in your first 90 days. So I outlined what it would look like, a roadmap to move through your first 30, 60, and 90 days and help you think about how do you assess your people, your pains, your processes, your culture, build systems to begin to really see your operations and see your performance and move them. Those are just foundational. That doesn't mean that like you're done, but those are foundational that you improve upon because I really believe that managers are the teachers, they are the transmitters of culture inside of any organization, and so managers need systems. They need structures to begin to teach from. Otherwise, all that they're doing is coping. Like They're no longer managing the work, they're coping with what's going on every single day. And um, that's just my um, take on how I've been able to you know, uh, work with and build up really strong leaders who later become, um, you know, larger leaders in the organization um, from the perspective of either the level of impact or the level of influence in terms of how many people they're actually beginning um, to lead. But culture here, I think is really important because when it comes to improving your results, you have to have systems to see. So that's what episode 29, 30, and 31 were all about. And that's, I have a number of different episodes that really focus on systems and structures. Um, So being able to see is really paramount. But when it comes to impacting culture, it's not about having systems to see. It's about creating experiences that are high frequency, high touch. And so you're going to leverage those systems to create those experiences because the whatever we, however you define culture, but what we call culture really for us is really born from our day-to-day experience. And that culture inside of a workplace, specifically the culture around how we approach our work, is born from the experiences we have. And those experiences aren't typically dynamic. Um, Oftentimes those experiences um, look more like, um, you know, no one really asks me what I'm doing. I go to a bunch of meetings that I'm not really clear like why I have to go to them. Um, I'm usually starting to put out issues. I spend more time um, on things than I thought I would. I have more issues pop up than I really thought would occur. I'm, I'm not getting responses back from other people that I'm waiting on, blah, blah, blah. Right? And all of that creates an experience that then drives um, how we begin to see and approach our work. And that sets the precedence for culture, which we're going to talk about because what I want is for the manager to begin to um, really uh, control, if you will, or shape or be an architect of that experience day to day, day to day. And I, I, I'm going to spend some time in upcoming podcasts talking about um, you know what this framework looks like. And I've done so in an earlier podcast. But what I want to talk about is especially a particular um, aspect of driving culture that tends to detract from our cultures and tends to influence those cultures. And that's what we would call the toxic worker, the toxic employee. All of us knows what that means. We, we've all experienced that. 
um, I, don't, I don't know how long that, that term has been coined out there. Um, folks usually have some kind of disease metaphor to, you know, talk about um, someone who's been in their team that's, you know, um, spreading stuff that's just just taking away from the opportunity for folks to feel like they can be united or collaborative or they, they can feel engaged or feel like they're actually moving forward. So everyone knows what that is. And I'm just going to give a definition. Um, so for me, a toxic worker is somebody who's really defined as someone that engages in behavior that's harmful. And I want to make sure I use that word appropriately. That's harmful to either the team, the organization, um, or even the property. Um, that that's I think what's really important because uh, they're really different. I've worked with teams, and I'll, I'll be brought in, and and I'll have the director or the the manager of the team say, you know, I've got some folks there. We're dealing with low morale and disengagement. And once I get in there, I realize like that's not what you're dealing with. Low morale means that folks aren't feeling um, psychologically connected and excited about their work. Low engagement means that the level of commitment to the work is beginning to drop. And there's definitely some things that show up there. Um, But someone who's toxic, that's really different. That kind of person is actually undermining um, what's happening. They're not just feeling um, lousy about the ways in which the systems or the structures or the people that are working in the structures um, are leaving them feeling and they're feeling a bit powerless um, and they're feeling like they're not actually able to make the difference that they want. That's low morale, low engagement. That's um, not feeling like you're able to give your best and you're not getting your best. Toxic worker is a little different. This employee is someone who's really taking away from. They're actually um, consciously exacerbating the issues. And I think that's really important. They might actually even be taking some ethical or um, legal license to just um, cross boundaries that they really shouldn't. And I think that's really important to understand. And what's odd about this particular um, you know, kind of uh, staff person, whether you know you know, the kind of person I'm talking about or not is there's just weird tension that exists because, and there's evidence to show this, that um, there's a tension between productivity and toxicity. In other words, oftentimes, and this is according to a Harvard uh, research study done in 2008, oftentimes toxic employees are actually fairly productive. So there's a way in which they're able to persist in a team organization because their productivity doesn't suck, but their attitude does. Which is really weird because the trade-off is odd. You know, when you've got somebody who's on your team like this, like they might be kind of corrupt, uh, but they excel in their work performance or they don't, their, their work performance isn't actually suffering, which, you know, explains a lot. And, and actually there is some evidence out there, according to this um, particular study, where toxic workers are actually in some cases more productive than the average worker, which is really odd. Um, so... It's so pervasive. Folks know who these people are, and yet there isn't the perhaps um, you know legal grounds to let them go, uh, which makes it even squishier. Because now we're talking about reasons to let them go that run in opposition to the kind of environment or the kind of values that are important to you, as opposed to the level of performance. Like it's it's every now and then it's that cut and dry. They're not meeting the performance expectations, um, and you're able to you know make a case that this person maybe shouldn't be there, and you help them move on. But oftentimes this person is meeting the performance requirements. They're meeting it. Sometimes they're even exceeding it. But who they are uh, isn't contributing to the identity of the team that you're trying to build. So that's what makes it so difficult. And you end up spending a lot of time, a lot of wasted time, um, either dealing with the fallout um, with people on your team, people from other teams, or with this particular individual um, altogether. And I think that's really important to understand because that creates the dichotomy that makes this so difficult to be able to really um, 
uh, untangle and, and you know, uh, create the clarity that's really important to really move this kind of situation forward. So let's talk about this for a second and really like how to deal with this employee because I think the mistake that gets made is we begin to think about like what am I going to do with you know Janet Janet is toxic Janet is a cancer quote unquote um, we got to get rid of Janet and I think that if you can do that this is my opinion this is not legal advice um, this is my opinion but yeah I mean obviously that makes sense um, but we also know something that's, I think, a little bit more global, and that is that your commitment isn't um, to getting rid of that person. Your commitment is to growing your team. And so from that perspective, let's just think about this from a different place. Because what we know to be true is that in any work environment, there's going to be kind of this like um, this uh, diffusion of engagement that's going to exist. And there are going to be like a percentage, usually like 10 to 20, that are highly engaged. These are your talented folks. Uh, these are folks who've been there maybe for a while. These are folks who are excited about the work they do. They're excited about the results that they create. Um, and they're committed to trying to even improve the workplace. Like they don't just want to improve what they do. They want to improve the situation around them. Those are your highly engaged staff. There's usually like a small handful on every team. Then there are folks who kind of fall in the middle. All right. Those are folks that are um, engaged. They're not disengaged, but they're just engaged. Um, they don't love it, but they don't um, excel. They don't hate it, um, and they don't necessarily detract. They're just engaged, right? Um, they're there. I wouldn't say that they're along for the ride, but um, this is the potential that you're still trying to build. Some of folks, you they probably hit the potential. Maybe folks are just really good at what they do, but that's what they're focused on. They're here to do their job. Um, they like what they do. Uh, they're probably not going to contribute anything more uh, and for various reasons, uh, and that's who they are. And then you've got the folks who are disengaged. Um, these folks are the ones who are feeling like they're not actually getting what they want. And there's a lot of reasons for that. They might be feeling like they're disengaged because they realize that they're in the wrong position. Or maybe they haven't realized that. Maybe they're disengaged because of the people that are around them. Maybe they're disengaged because they're trying to engage in their work and they're not able to do their best job because the processes or the systems aren't there to support them to do really good work. And so this person I think is really important to understand because this person isn't necessarily undermining anything. They're just feeling like they came to do something to accomplish some kind of mission and they're not able to accomplish that mission. So what's important to understand about that is you can change that. Um, there's work to be done, but you can change that. So there's, there's kind of these three different groups, this highly engaged, the engaged, and then, you know, the disengaged. And all of those are kind of, you know, there's always going to be a certain percentage to kind of fall in between all of those altogether. And I think it's important to understand that because if you have a group of 10 people, you're probably going to have like, you know, two to three that are highly engaged, about three to four who are engaged. Um, you're going to have maybe like, you know, one to one to three that are just disengaged. And it's important to understand that it's just somewhere in that range. Like that's just what's going to happen. But then there's the one to two no matter what you do on a team. Um, and if you don't have this person, you know, that's awesome. But there's usually the one to two that are that actively disengaged. And this is where that toxic person might live because there's no correlation between how well they're performing, but there, there is a connection to their level of psychological commitment to either do the job or to build a, a positive environment and um, change the identity of the team. And I think that's really important. We make the mistake of trying to turn that person around. That's not really why you want to spend your energy. What you want to do is you want to move your highly engaged and you're engaged. You want to surround 
your actively disengaged person with those those folks. And and I think sometimes people hear that and they're like, you're crazy because I'm going to lose my talent. And I think that's really important to really just make sure we're clear about because um, sometimes we lose really good talent because we haven't dealt well with the toxic person and they drive out folks that we really don't want to lose. And I think it's important to understand that. And we want to make sure that what we're doing is um, surrounding some of the folks who are just what we call no-nos, like no matter what we do, they're like, no, 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 right? Like they just don't want to do it. We want to surround um, them with folks who are going to actually push the kind of engagement that we want. And so there's kind of, um, you know, a couple different directions that I typically um, advise folks to go in. And so we're going to talk about those. And again, this isn't legal advice, but this is like a way of thinking about how would I deal with this person who might be sucking up um, all of my time and my resources. So I would say there's three things to do here. There's what I call illuminate, isolate, and then congregate. So let's walk through each three. I start with illuminate. And what I mean by that is I begin to make sure that that toxic employee is really called out. Um, I recommend scheduling a meeting with them and really review what's going on. So by the way, if you can, don't have this meeting alone um, with this problem employee. Have a witness in the room who can verify what's said, um, by whom. You want the meeting to be definitely private, definitely discreet. But you need to make sure that you cover yourself in the event that there are repercussions later. Now, I'm talking about the toxic employee. I'm not talking about someone who's disengaged or having a hard time. Um, This truly toxic employee who's harmful. And in that meeting, you want to outline the problem explicitly, like super specific terms. You don't want to use vague accusations like you're creating a problem or, um, you know, folks don't really like, you know, how you're going about business. Like that's that's not okay. You want to state, here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm seeing. Um, Right. You called Wendy stupid in a staff meeting like you want to call that out. You yelled at Steve in front of a client like those are the kinds of things you want to make sure that um, is being said or your personal conversations are disrupting other employees from doing their job. This is what I saw last Tuesday morning at eight, right? Like you just want to be specific so you can really ask for remediation, be able to assess any changes in behaviors. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing, right? This is the impact that it's having. And so I think those two things together are really important because you want to make sure that you're not getting tit for tat about what they did, but you want them to begin to own that there's an impact for what they're doing. And I think that's really important because sometimes, and it's rare, but sometimes folks will say that wasn't my intent um, or they'll have reasons for it because they're going to get defensive. And so obviously knowing that in this conversation, someone's going to get defensive because nobody wants to have a mirror held up to their, you know, their, their sense of self and be called out around this um, because sometimes they're not They don't know that they operate this way or if they do because maybe they've been operating this way even when you hired them. This is who they are outside of work. Um, It's challenging for them because this is how they're able to survive and move through life, right? So I think it's really important to know that that's going to come up. So just remind yourself, not that you're like being, um, you know, some kind of saint and you have to be pious about it, but you're actually providing a contribution to this person because what you want ultimately is, you know, for them to turn around and be someone who's, um, you know, a powerful leader on your team. The reality is if they're truly toxic, they're probably going to struggle with that. Um, And it's not your job to, you know, provide that kind of therapy. But you do, if you're thinking well about the other human being, and they're probably going to find a different home at some point in time, um, a different place to work. You do want to provide the kind of feedback that is important for them to understand the kinds of things they're doing and the impact that it's having so they can create the choice for themselves the next place they go. And I think that's what's really important to remember about the conversation that you're having. And so from that perspective, 
you can just remember that you don't have to get defensive um, and you don't have to get pious either. You just get to be, period. You just get to be. You just get to be able to state that the sky is blue, that the walls are there, and that this is happening, and that there's an impact, and that you want something different for them and, and for your team. So in that moment, who you're being for is for your team, and I think that's really important to remember. You're being for that person, too, because you're being for the being their best selves, even though they're not able to. What that means for you as a leader is you have to put aside what impact it's had on you because maybe it's personally pissed you off. Maybe it's personally made it really hard for you to show up because now you're dealing with this or that. Um, and so I think it's just really important for you to remember that that's not your role. Your role there isn't to you know um, have your own needs met. It's to be a contribution. Um, for sure, you know, acknowledge their accomplishments um, and, you know, let them know like the kind of contribution that they're making and the kind of contribution that you want. So that's really what this is about. Document things, document what's happening in that meeting. Um, and so make sure that, that all of that is there. And then, and the, you know, the final part of that conversation, this is what I'm seeing or hearing. This is the impact it's having. And these are the changes. And so you can do that one or two ways. What do you suppose we, what kind of what do you suppose are the kind of changes or actions that we want to take to make things different around here, right? So you're asking them, what should we be doing differently? What kinds of, um, you know, changes uh, should, should you be making? Um, and or two, here are the changes that I'm proposing and be ready for those. Have those. Here are the things that I want to see different and give it a timeline over the next 30 days. I mean, these conversations aren't awesome, but again, when you took this role, when you took on the job of leadership, it wasn't to make friends, it was to create impact. And I think what's so important about that is in this moment, you're holding out a boundary, not just for that person to grow, but for your entire team to flourish. And that's what you're being for in this moment by holding out um, a certain possibility for a new kind of behavior and a new kind of attitude from a staff person who's toxic. So just remember that. So all of that's super important um, to keep in mind, and that becomes a frame to act from. That's the conversation you're having. That's illuminate. You're making sure you're pulling that person in. You're talking them through. This is what I'm seeing or hearing. This is the impact that it's having. Here's what I want to see, you know, different uh, moving forward in this period of time. Um, and you're inviting them into contributing to that conversation by asking them what could be done differently um, and or telling them what needs to be done differently. It's going to feel crunchy, right? That's just how it's going to be. And that's okay. That's illuminate. Your second step is what I call isolate. It seems weird. I just said that you're a contribution. You're giving them a chance and you are. You're giving that person an opportunity to create the kind of change that I think is important for their life and the health of their career. All of that is super true. And if they're toxic, that means that they're harmful. And if they're harmful, that means that they usually have picked up patterns that aren't super useful, that are really hard to get rid of. So I typically say, do what you can to begin to isolate that person um, from, um, from engagements that create the opportunity for harm. So um, you know, rethink what kind of activities you have them deployed to. Rethink where you're having that person teamed up with other groups. Rethink, um, you know, how you're having that person um, take part in certain committees or work groups. Um, you know, I, it sounds odd, but the, one of the, the most 
powerful thing sometimes um, with a toxic employee is actually to isolate or ignore them. Um, it sounds weird. It's almost like I'll never forget um, when I was given this strategy as a parent. And I know like, you know, we, we've got two kiddos and they would be off, you know, and um, my parent coach, uh, you know, she was like, you don't have to address that. I was like, no, 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 I, I got to step in. She's like, no. There are some things that you step in around and then there are some things that you ignore because this person will learn that they're not going to get the reaction that they want. And that's kind of the idea around isolate is that, you know, we're beginning to figure out ways that this person um, isn't going to be put in positions where they can um, engage in some of this um, unethical or, or even potentially illegal behavior depending on what they're up to, which I think is important. We're... We're giving them an opportunity to continue to perform because remember there's this tension here where they still perform well typically. They're just not behaving in a way that's useful um, and that creates a contribution to the team. So we're removing them from some of those opportunities. Not all of them because you can't do that. But you're beginning to find ways to see where can I, I take them out of situations. You still have to give them the opportunity to make the choices that are different. But the reality is that if you're having that conversation – um, typically they are stuck in a rut. So you're starting to, you know, move yourself closer towards what might be inevitable, which is a potential, um, you know, firing or removing at some point in time. So that's illuminate, that's isolate. So the last piece here is congregate. I talked about illuminate and isolate. Isolate and congregate, they happen all at the same time right here because while you might be moving that person away from opportunities to continuously undermine, what you're doing is now congregating those who want to contribute together. You're starting to bring your highly engaged folks with your engaged and even your disengaged. I wouldn't necessarily mix them with your actively disengaged because that's a person that you're somewhat isolating. But those who are disengaged, you want them surrounded by those who are highly engaged. And I know that what you're doing here is you're managing risk. You're managing the risk of those that are, you know, disengaged um, with the, you know, potential of beginning to detract from those who are highly engaged. But you're doubling down by taking your actively engaged and you're engaged, those two groups, because you're really talking about if this is a group of 10, you're talking about five to six people who still feel like there's a commitment, that they're making a difference, they're performing, and you're surrounding them um, around the, the disengaged because that's where the hope comes from. That's not like the end-all, be-all. You have to have systems again. Um, and the same systems I've been talking about in almost all my podcasts, your systems to see, your systems to see um, how the work is moving systems to see and solve problems, systems to begin to experiment and make change. That has to exist because, you know, there's great research that shows that some folks who are toxic, you can actually, they're beginning to have much better um, assessments to begin to predict for who's toxic. Like there's great corollaries between people who are overconfident, people who, um, you know, are, are um, rule followers, which is really odd, um, but folks who profess necessarily to be rule followers, um, like those kind of folks typically end up being toxic later. We like that there's just enough evidence to show that. And now it's really just about, you know, finding the right assessments to begin to screen ahead of time. I'm talking about what happens when folks are in your systems. And sometimes your systems actually create that toxicity. And so this is like that disengaged person who may never become toxic, but the systems have let them down. And so what you want to do is surround them with folks who have either figured out in the current state how to navigate around those systems until you can actually course correct them. And or, you know, think of your highly engaged and your engaged people as the light socket. If you want to turn that lamp on, 
it won't turn on until you plug it in and you need a place to plug it in and that energy source are those people. So that's really what we're trying to do here. Um, we're trying to make sure that we're leveraging them. You aren't enough. You fixing processes, eh, kind of, it'll get you there. But you fixing processes and most definitely surrounding your folks who are feeling a bit disengaged with those who are highly engaged, there's like a, it's just a 10x multiplier. It's an enabler. It enables um, just a different kind of um, persistence and hope, which I think is really important. So making sure that you're creating opportunities for them to pair up, to work together, to be on the same team. Those are the kind of things that I think are really important. Um, and then tracking those conversations. So making sure all of those are there, illuminating. So making sure that you're connecting with those folks that are toxic, calling them out, isolating, trying to pull them back from situations because um, you're setting yourself up for um, the potential of helping them exit gracefully and then congregating, bringing your disengaged, not your toxics, but your disengaged together with your highly engaged folks. This is really important. These three things are really important um, to begin to, again, um, try to maintain not necessarily your culture, but maintain the kind of engagement that you need to build the culture that you want. So let's come back to that toxic person. Make sure that you've set up a follow-up meeting. You said these are the kind of things that we want to see happen over the next 30 or 60 days, maybe 90 days. You're meeting with them in regular intervals. You're praising what you're seeing is going well, um, letting them know the kind of contribution that they are. Um, you're letting them know what might not be moving forward. Um, so all of those things are really important. Uh, and you want to make sure that if there isn't any positive change, and again, check with your HR, check with your legal, obviously make sure that everything feels like you know, your ducks are lined up and none of this, again, is legal advice, but terminate that employee. Like, don't wait. I don't even delay, not even a day. Um, I would, you know, just be really straightforward uh, and reiterate, like, you know, why they were on probation, what you wanted to see different, and how it didn't contribute to what you were trying to create. They still might because it hurts. They're still going to say, you know, there's going to be a, a, you know, just a really low level of accountability typically from this person. So they're going to point the finger outward and just know that. Just be ready for that. You don't have to respond to it, but just know that it's not about you. It's about what was missing for them to be able to really figure out how to be a contribution. Um, of course, take inventory around like what happened there. Like make sure that you're really clear. What did you own in that? Like what about the systems let them down? But your ability to really distinguish what they're doing and the impact that they're having is really different than what the systems are doing to them because everybody has a choice. And that's what I think is the most important leadership contribution that you have is teaching people how to begin to build the talent of making strong choices. That's really what this is about. We all have the ability to make choices, choices around our time, choices around the actions that we take, choices around um, the folks that we decide to hang around with, choices around how we choose to see the current situation. We don't develop that. I think that's a talent, and I don't think we develop that. And that's what you're really offering to that person. That's what you're offering the rest of your team. You're telling the rest of your team that you're for them and that this is the choice that you're making. Um, and as long as you've done it with a lot of clarity – as long as you've done it with a lot of integrity and as long as you've done it from a place of contribution, both to your team and to that person, you should go home and you should sleep well that night and then get back up and start over, right? Like that's really what this is about, you know, because here's why the cardinal sin of management is really not engaging your employee who's a good fit for their role. And there's a lot of reasons like this is super important. Truly talented people, your highly engaged folks on your team, this is who you're being for. They're rare and they're the most expensive to replace. 
They might take other high performers with them if they leave. Um, and they're the easiest to engage with, but they're also the quickest to leave if they're disengaged. So ultimately, you have one job to hire the best talent and then continuously engage them. And managers, you know who's talented and they know who's unhappy with their current situation, right? So you want to make sure that you're really um, you're giving them the best shot to get nurtured. So this to me is like really important. We're going to talk about like driving culture, declaring your culture, you know, really making sure that you understand how to begin to set the kind of culture that you want. But you can't do any of that until you've addressed um, the issue of toxic employees. So if you've got a toxic employee, this session was for you. This podcast was for you. If you don't, you know what? Tuck this away in case someday it happens. And if you, and if you never get one, you're awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. I've already had like a couple in my lifetime. It's hard. Um, it's super hard. Like I'm explaining how I go about it, but that would be like me explaining like, here's how I scale that mountain. Like it's one thing for me to say like, here's the route we're going to take and here's the tools that we need. It's a real different thing to do it. Like it, it's still, I just want to acknowledge that it's tough. Um, and, uh, you know, follow the people who've gone before you. And so take that advice, which I think is important. Um, if you're one of uh, those managers out there who um, hasn't had this, um, but you know someone who's struggling with them, give them a gift of thinking about this so that you can give them a hand. Because this really, like I've talked to so many managers and they have so many good ideas. Um, and the two biggest things, well, three biggest things that get in their way is either they never got trained around how to set up some of the systems I'm talking about. So they don't even know how to do it. Two, they're so busy dealing with crisis and issues all day long that they can't even implement the ideas that they have, right? And so sometimes it's both of those things. And then three, sometimes as managers, we're really busy dealing with toxic employees. So, you know, it's like those three things are whammies. And if you're lucky enough to, you know, feel ahead of the game and you're not swamped by crisis or issues and you don't have a toxic employee, then the real question is, do you know how to drive the culture that you want? And that's really just a matter of training and skill. And that brothers and sisters, I'm going to give to you. Okay. So we're going to do that in the next couple episodes. That's my thought for this week. I hope that that's a contribution to you in some way, shape or form, uh, because I know all of you are out there and you're making a difference because you want to make a difference because you believe that that's who you are in the world and you don't want to just make things work. You actually want to have the impact that you deserve and you are, you're changing lives and I'm excited about it. So thanks so much for listening in. My name is Chris Nebro. This was the Thought Revolution and I will talk to you guys next week.